Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself continue our discussion on the Lord's Supper with a bit of a twist and a very special guest. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I have with me today Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brian Rickey, and Pastor Brady Finnern. Yes. Welcome back. Times three now. It's great to have you with us again, Brady. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were discussing off mic that since we've grilled Brady (laughs) for two straight episodes. We should turn this into like a roasting. Yeah, like like the gong show. (laughs) What we need to do now is find an unsuspecting AALC pastor and bring Mm -hmm. him in for a couple episodes. We'll find someone in the Lutheran Brethren and and we'll just start hammering on people. We'd find someone in the wells, but they won't even talk to us, right? (laughs) Oh, that's an inside Lutheran (laughs) joke right there. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, we, we didn't think it was quite fair that we've been picking on you for two episodes. So we thought we'd flip the tables, let you kind of give your outsider's opinion on Mm -hmm. the identity of the AFLC and the practices. You can ask questions, and since we have three AFLC pastors in the room, we can give answers, and we go that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe in this whole arc on communion, what we've done is served to advance the cause of knowing a little bit more about each other mm-hmm. rather than just dealing right. with red herrings and straw men. Sure. And, and doing that, you you sharpen what you believe. Yep. And, yep. and that's really what we want to see from this is to know what you believe, why you believe it, why you do what you do. Sorry, White Horse Inn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so no, it's great. We we want to do that, and Brett just headbutted his microphone. Yeah. If you're wondering what's going on, so he's a little bit off uh, right yeah, now. Right. He's rattled, uh. but yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. So, give us an outsider's perspective on your brief interactions with the AFLC. I know you had mentioned two episodes ago that you grew up in Wadena, so mm-hmm. you are one of the few who just by proximity knew that the AFLC was a thing. <laughs> we right. exist. Uh, yeah. But then because of this podcast and then connections you've made through uh, other contexts, you know probably more about the AFLC than your average Missouri Synod pastor or yep. member. And you realize that it's just not an insurance company. That's right. That's yeah, right. Well, right. The, yeah. the, the, the joke that I've been Affleck. making for decades now is that if something happens to the AFLC and we lose that trademark like we lost the Lutheran Free Church trademark in the 60s, we'll just be the Association of Free Lutheran American Congregations, and all we need to do is shift the logo of a dove to a duck. Same problem solved. Yeah, problem well, it kind of take a step back is I remember when I was in college, um, this was around the time where the uh, Lutheran World Federation and Catholics had a joint declaration of justification mm, by faith. Mm, mm. Where, where and, all those Lutherans basically just admitted to being Catholics. Right, exactly. The Catholics <laughs> said, we actually don't believe that. Lutherans are like, that's fine, but we believe in everything together, right? Sure. And then they did. <laughs> so the Can we AF- all just get along? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so the AFLC pastor... Um, came to my dad's church in Wadena, and that's when he was still there, and just kind of talked to him about that. And and then I had one of those kind of times where I was a little bit like, you know, what am I doing? And then he just mentioned how this pastor had remembered me playing football and basketball and had made an impact on his sons and all this. And and I was like, oh, right, what, where is he a pastor at? Oh, the, the free church in town, the Lutheran Free Church. And I asked my dad, I said, so how is that different? And he goes, well, we're, we're the same. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've always been intrigued with with AFLC, mm-hmm. and one of the things too, talking with other pastors mm-hmm. and the AFLC, we have a very long and lengthy process for ordination. Mm-hmm. 
going through a seminary. You basically have to some way go through our seminaries. And at the same time, we have a very clear, you know, if you cross the line on this doctrinal statement, you know, that this is where the autonomy kind of changes when it goes into theology. So really my question is, what do you subscribe to as far as your doctrinal statements? And where would where would the rubber hit the road, if you will, that if this pastor confesses something that's out of line with what you believe, is there a way of actually addressing that? That's my question. Those are two very different questions. Yes. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. The answer is yes. <laughs> All right, next question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so AFLC officially subscribes to the three ecumenical creeds, which were in lockstep with Missourian. We subscribe to the unaltered Augsburg Confession and Luther's small catechism. Mm-hmm. Um, we, depending on the church's constitution, mm-hmm. also make mention of the other Lutheran documents, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't have to explicitly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have our own set of documents called the Fundamental Principles and the Rules for Work mm-hmm. that, that are less theological than they are practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. there, there's yep. some theology in the, the fundamental principles. In the fundamental principles, the first fundamental principle of the AFLC states that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. Right. And that's as theological as we're going to get in those. Now, there's some uh, talks about how the spirit works through the congregation and, and different spiritual gifts. But in all in all, I would say, and it sounds like Brian and Brad mm-hmm. agree with me, that they're mostly about practice yeah, uh, and less about but theological. In the statement conviction. about the Augsburg Confession, it's also the three ecumenical creeds, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but so that's where we officially subscribe. Mm-hmm. Our seminarians, when they're ordained and when they graduate, are asked to affirm all of that. What we just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process for becoming an AFLC pastor is a little bit easier. Uh, you will have to go through a colloquy committee uh, and also our governing board, which is called the coordinating committee, I think also mm-hmm. interviews yep. Uh, yep. incoming pastors. Occasionally, based on pastoral experience, they will have a pastor take a class on the history and aims of the AFLC mm-hmm. uh, during a seminary term or something like that just to get some historical background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, really kind of the defining principle of who the AFLC is more than anything is the inerrancy of scripture, Mm -hmm. uh, the inspiration of scripture. And then from there you have the Lutheran basis. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of that, because my associate pastor is going through this now, uh, Mm. depending Mm -hmm. on the college slash seminary that you went to to transfer into, uh, they'll determine how many credits you need to take. Most of the credits that they're prescribing for him are systematics. Even though he's taken Mm -hmm. systematics, they weren't comfortable with the actual college he took them from or the seminary he took them from. And so there is is oversight from an academic aspect as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it really kind of is taken by a case-by-case basis. Has that person been a pastor before? Has they been active? Um, On and on and on to Mm -hmm. their education, to whether they were ordained in a previous denomination. So there, there are other aspects. So it's, it's mostly what Jason shared, but there are other aspects that they take into account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you, you talked a little bit about church discipline or Mm -hmm. or, or theological disagreements. That's a, that's a much muddier area Mm -hmm. for us. Our coordinating committee, uh, again, that's the governing body of our church, or as close as we can get. 
uh, has the authority to both remove a pastor from the clergy roster mm -hmm. and also to remove a congregation from the congregation roster. Now, the AFLC is a voluntary association. They say, or they might suggest it. Yeah. Strongly suggest Usually that. it's a strong suggestion. Mm -hmm. Now, the AFLC is a voluntary association. So basically what they're saying is you guys really don't have anything in common mm -hmm. with us. You don't need to be a member of this group. Uh, removing a pastor is a little bit more of a serious issue. Uh, I would say that historically speaking, as a personal assessment, that the coordinating committee has been pretty hands-off in addressing theological diversity or theological controversy. Not entirely, but it, it, it's not direct. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, um, personally, again, I would say that a lot of opportunities that the coordinating committee has had to directly take on some of these issues have been met with accusations of a witch hunt or things like that. Right. And so there's some consciousness with that. Now, one of the issues that we run into that is different than the Missouri Synod is an AFLC congregation can literally call anyone to be their pastor. Mm -hmm. And now I, I believe it's part of your governing documents that for to be in the Missouri Synod, a Missouri Synod congregation must call a Missouri Synod pastor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, is there a qualification whether they are already ordained yet or in process? Is there a stipulation on that? Um, I mean, are you saying that, like, if a guy's, like, an, on the way of being yeah. ordained? No, they have to be ordained by the time they start mm -hmm. serving. Absolutely. Okay. The mm -hmm. only exception to that would be a, what's called SMP program, where it's mm -hmm. a long distance where yeah. a guy will be at a congregation. They technically call him, but he's more of a vicar for two years before he mm -hmm. gets mm. ordained. Yeah. Vicar yep. meaning intern type yep. of yep. thing. So yep. that'd be probably the one exception. But yeah, you won't have a guy who's not done with the colloquy process preaching and teaching um, that we know of yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. officially. Yeah. I believe that's right. a, the status of the past, Missouri Senate pastor in my town. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, yep. So we have a, a, a wide range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. We have ordained, rostered clergy in the AFLC. We also have clergy who are on the fellowship roster, mm -hmm. either that are at a distance for a reason or are going through the colloquy process. Yep. Yep. We have licensed lay pastors. We have lay pastors, and we just have everything else. Right. And it's <laughs> it's up to it's up to a congregation, especially up to their constitution. Now, right. some of yeah, the AFLC right. congregations in their constitution right. say has to be on the clergy roster. Yeah, that's I think or, that's or it has to be ordained. Yeah, well, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so there, there's mm -hmm. a lot of flux, but you know, because of the congregational autonomy. Uh, there's only so much that we, on a national level, of, are capable of doing and of enforcing. Sure. So, sure. that's kind of a broad brush of where mm -hmm. we stand based on that question. Yep. No, that's that's wonderful. I mean, one of the things that people assume that we have a lot more uh, control from the quote top down to go into a congregation and just mm -hmm. clear house. Sure. But there's a long um, reconciliation process that we go through. With anything can be appealed. If you look at our Senate constitution, it's all, I mean, it's a very long part of our constitution of reconciliation and trying to work through any theological issues that we have. And we're, I mean, we are very, very influenced by the 70s and our the questions mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the inerrancy of scripture mm -hmm. and, and the understanding Seminex, of... Seminex, right? Seminex, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could talk all day about that, but it's, it's it's one of those things we're very influenced by that mm -hmm. by the time this process became very lengthy because we didn't want to be seen as having a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's why they take the seminary be four years long, you know, have an internship, 
Um, you go through a long vetting process to make mm-hmm. sure. They always did always told us you could be a heretic while you're at seminary, be campy when you get out in the parish. <laughs> <laughs> None of us tested that theory, but uh, yeah. Well, it does. Uh, it's a certain commentary on the nature of seminarians in general, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Need to be a little bit more molded. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So based on what we've talked about so far, I I think it's good to get this general idea, but we are in an episode series and an episode arc on communion. And so in effort to stay on track, we've kind of had a chance to ask you about LCMS communion teaching and practice and kind of have an exchange that way. From an outsider's perspective, again, based on what you've heard us talk about both on and off mic, what is your assessment of the uh, communion situation in the AFLC? Uh, well, it seems to me that there's a lot of uh, lot of similarities that we're talking about here. Um, that the the process of how someone is to take communion there sounds like what we talked about the worthiness scale that we're mm-hmm. that we're doing while there. Um, that were very similar in that way. Obviously, there'd be a clear, like, you wouldn't say, oh, that person's uh, a different church body or different Lutheran, therefore we wouldn't take communion. Uh, we wouldn't give you a communion kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that would happen in the Missouri Synod. And and I think that, that you can still be faithful and do that. Um, what is the... Uh, one of the questions I had was, was for confirmation type, of, do you have early communion? Do you... Uh, is it confirmation? Then the kids will start taking... Or any mm-hmm. adults? Uh, how does that work with mm-hmm. uh, communion? practice there? I would say a vast majority of our congregations do confirmation than communion. Uh, uh, My church is one of a growing movement where we do first communion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have consciously at the level of our church council decided to separate what the rite of confirmation is from receiving the sacrament. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, personally, and this was discussed at the council level at faith, is we treat communion all too often like a carrot on a stick mm-hmm. and Absolutely. like it's graduation. And and so what we do actually as a part of the process is we teach the communion section first in the mm-hmm. confirmation class. And so, mm-hmm. you know, before doing the Ten Commandments, before following the order, we talk about communion first. We get to the point where we're comfortable that the student understands the material, can confess back to me as the pastor, uh, it's a weird sort of situation at my church because I don't teach confirmation for a couple of different reasons. One of the students is my own son and I want him learning from someone else other than me. And so we have a seminarian teach confirmation. And then uh, we're in another situation where it's more beneficial for us to have a female teach communion because she teaches in the house of one of our female students. Mm-hmm. And so we've entrusted kind of our equivalent of a DCE mm-hmm. to do that so that she can be more personally connected to a female student. Sure. Um, but what we did this last year was the first time we did it is after they reached and I was able to question them and question their teachers. Then on Reformation Sunday, we did First Communion. Uh, sure. And then we sure. went back to normal. But then what we've done since that point, the emphasis on confirmation has been all about for lack of a better term, that personal testimony to mm-hmm. that this is the faith, but it is also my faith. Right. And, right. and being able to confess that. And they know, they're a little intimidated by it, but they know that at the end of this two-year arc, they will be confessing their faith in front of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, Brett, you that's guys similar. are similar yeah. to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for the, the communion part. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's a little more connected to Confirmation Sunday and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And I I think that 
probably the way our church does it is maybe a little more common in the AFLC as yeah. opposed to the way uh, your church does it. I don't know, for you, you so, guys? So I serve three congregations. The first mm-hmm. one is very much like what you're describing, uh, mm-hmm. very, what I would say, traditional AFLC. Communion comes after confirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the second church I served, because it was in such a huge Catholic community, uh, they moved confirmation up to fifth and sixth grade. And um, if parents, and this was part of the church practice, if parents thought that their children were ready based upon their confession of faith, confession of Christ, they would then, as a family, meet with the pastor, and the pastor would then approve them for communion, hmm. which I actually thought was an interesting... Hmm. And, and, and most of, um, I would say, the families that did do that, they were very active in mm-hmm. teaching their kids the, the Word of God. And um, the fear, the bad, maybe the negative part is, you know, it's like, well, theologically... You know what band are you coming from? You know right. because everyone, not everyone's born Lutheran. You know, so it, it, there was a little well, bit of. of can we say they're created spoke, Lutheran spoke and then they wander yeah. from there? Is that, what? So, but that was kind of maybe the mm-hmm. the uncomfortable part. Is like, well, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the differences of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, talking about the differences of the presence of Christ mm-hmm. in communion. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so it, it it was it was a good process because we grew, but it was. It wasn't uh, an A plus B equals C kind right. of thing. So right. mm-hmm. the church I serve now is very much um, uh, kind of, again, what, mm-hmm. what Brett's yeah. saying. Yep. Um, but they do leave the option where if, again, a family member or a parent believes their child is ready, they, they have the option to meet with a pastor. But right. I haven't had that happen. No. Uh, most people want their, their kids to go through confirmation. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very, very helpful. I was looking through um, our old TLH, Lutheran hymnal, agenda. Um, and in that, compared to our current hymnal, the Lutheran service book, it says in the right before, it says, because we want someone to examine themselves before they take communion, this is why we have the right of confirmation. Mm-hmm. It does not say that in the blue hymnal mm-hmm. that we have or the mm-hmm. new one, oh. which I found interesting that that's mm-hmm. not part of it. Mm-hmm. It's more of a confession of faith. This is what we believe, mm-hmm. and, and there we have it. Now, I have one fun story was uh, two years ago, we had confirmation. We was having a Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and one of the things that happened was uh, I went through the service and we had communion. Kids had their first communion, and you kind of just felt this discomfort in the whole room, like something was off. I mean, this is you know the kids got communion. I was like, this is great. And we get to the end and have communion, and my elder kind of he nudges me and goes, "You didn't have the kids confess their faith yet." they didn't didn't go through the rite of confirmation yet so i'm like freaking out everyone all these traditional lutherans in there like i think we did this wrong but i'm not sure why (laughs) (laughs) so this last year i asked everybody is now the time is now the time (laughs) and so that's that's one of my questions that we have and one of the cool things is that although it looks different that there's a lot of similarities what do we want we want people to be prepared we want young Mm -hmm. people to be prepared how do we do that it is, it is vastly different yeah. for each individual as God has made us all um, mm-hmm. individuals and differently. So it's a lot of fun for me to hear the similarities mm-hmm. um, of a confession of faith, clearly a different fundamental principles of ministry that we would have, but at the same time trying to stay clear to God's word and mm-hmm. see what he has to say and prepare people the best we possibly can. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. I know it's confirmation. It just seems it's taken on such a different thing. Was there's so many yeah, broken families? Right. There's, right. there's, yeah. there's in in our neck of the woods, yeah. so to speak. It's it's a worthy topic that we need to yeah look yeah. into. It's it's different reform. because you don't have a solid family structure where the the dad is being the spiritual leader of the home and teaching his child the word of God, and and same with the mother, and they're united in in the covenant love of Christ and the promise. Of of their marriage and all of that and, and man it just gets to be so sticky sometimes mm-hmm. and and uh, you you don't want this just to be a homework exercise right. for these kids you know you don't want to just go through the motions like a cow going into a stanchion you know it's something that we we take seriously I grew up on a farm so that's <laughs> awesome. you know but um. You, you don't want it to be like just this rote form of tradition or that someone views it as, oh, I'm graduating from Sunday school, so I no longer have to go. Yep. And so just keeping a passion alive in these youth is a tricky business. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't want it to ever be entertainment, but at the same time, man, you got to engage them. Yep. Wow, it's yep. just... Yep. Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, the, the whole process started for us because I had a handful of families approach me with concerns about the arbitrariness of confirmation mm-hmm. as a right, that it's just, why are we doing it as 12 and 13-year-olds or 13 mm-hmm. and 14-year-olds? Yep. It just seems, you know, what if my kid's ready ahead of time? Right. And so that was something our... I, I did some research on that uh, last summer, and there's so much, uh, even through the history of, of confirmation, there's so much variance there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's different for each church. And, you know, I tried to gently explain that for a lot of the time, the Lutheran context is you're dealing with classes of 20 or 30 in confirmation and not one or two. And so just for the sake of decency and in good order, you have to do something at a certain level. The compromise we made at my congregation is interesting. No one's taken me up on it yet. But if you felt your child was ready to start confirmation and start the first communion process ahead of when we would normally be doing it, what you needed to do is have them memorize the text of the small catechism and mm-hmm. be able to recite it back for me. Mm-hmm. If they're ready to do that, then you know I'll examine them and then they can start as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. And, and that was the compromise we made. I've had no one take me up on that. Mm-hmm. But it's, for me, again, kind of what you were saying, Brian, confirmation is about making that faith personal. Mm-hmm. It's not about, you're no longer just passively receiving the information, receiving the instruction is, yeah, oh yeah, this is exactly what I believe. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've made much about the fear of public speaking, and, and I've assured my kids that you can just read from a page that you have written when it comes time to confess that in front of the congregation, but it is going to be your confession. Yeah. It's not going to be a recitation. And I think that's a valuable thing. I think the church uh, needs to do a better job of communicating that necessity without glorifying the testimony yeah. so that it becomes a sacrament unto itself. So this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm kind of doing this because Brady's here. So have you, have you, <laughs> it's all your fault. As a pastor, have you ever not confirmed someone, held them back? Yes, mainly because they just didn't do, <laughs> do the work. majority the work. of the work that yeah. we asked yeah. them to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, Having only ever had two confirmation students, the answer is no, but I can say my pastor growing up did. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I had two. And so out in, um, I was serving in South Dakota. I won't really even say the name of, of the place and whatever, but uh, we were helping another congregation of a different denomination. They were without a pastor, they didn't have someone teaching confirmation to them. I came in and I just, I said, I'd be more than happy to do this. I'm excited to do it. I, I love teaching. And I said, however, I, I want to let all of you know that I reserve the right to not confirm any child that I do not believe has an active, living, 
participating faith in Christ Jesus. You know, I just don't feel comfortable with someone just going through the motions. And boy, when I had to actually act, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, up front, they're like, yeah, we wouldn't expect any different, right? As long as then, it's not my kid. And then I, had, yeah. then I had to do it. And like, well, we didn't think you would actually do that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, so I was just curious if yeah. you had ever had to, to, to do that. Toothless threats are the best kind of threats. Yeah, dumb, <laughs> dumb them to death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. it's not like we're the confirmation police or something like that. <laughs> but at the same time, as a carer of souls, yeah. I mean, and if they're mm-hmm. stepping into communion, if they don't believe what we're believe teaching and confessing mm-hmm. as Lutheran bodies, well, yeah. then why are you doing it? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's a valid thing. And I, I think sometimes we get too nice, and and mm-hmm. that's why I kind of appreciate close communion. I'm right. just going to say that I'm going to confess that there it is um, because <laughs> because the separation. <laughs> Tells you something's wrong or that something is valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I remember I went to a church. Uh, I was uh, on a sabbatical for myself, and I kind of, I took this. I'm an introvert, so this is where <laughs> I get life. I just didn't speak to a human being or have any like media for a week. It was great, and so I went to church, and I was so excited to go, and it was a beautiful service, and it came to communion, and I couldn't, and I started to cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I remi- it reminded me of how valuable that is, right. Right. and I think that's a that's a good thing. And I think that that it can't be all about just getting a participation trophy in confirmation. It mm-hmm. can't be that way. And not mm-hmm. that you're earning anything, but you are confessing mm-hmm. what we believe, teach, and confess as a body. Sounds like a future episode. Yeah, well, maybe. we'll get there. And and you know, I think just after. Hundred episodes, hundred or so yeah. more of vocation. <laughs> there, I got it in. Uh, <laughs> That's like the third one we. Yeah, we we, we've been uh, out of practice, but you know, in the end, uh, <laughs> what the what the church, regardless of denomination, needs to do is to communicate that our beliefs matter. It's yeah. not mm-hmm. like changing Amen. a T-shirt every morning. It's not like, well, today I'm going to this church, tomorrow I'm going to that church. It's that what you believe Scripture says literally impacts your eternity. It really impacts not only how you live your life in the here and now, but how you live your life in the here and now in light of what you believe eternity is going to be all about. And if we don't treat those beliefs like they matter, there's no point. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. zero point to doing what we're doing. Amen. All right. Well, I chose this at the beginning of the of the podcast, and maybe it's the proper text to, to read. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, which belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Please join us next week as we continue our discussion with Pastor Brady from the LCMS. God bless you and have a great week.